0: Amen, amen. Let's give Whitney a round of applause. Grateful for her being willing to share with us this week. And here we are, week four of the series of the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to Matthew chapter 6. If you are a guest here with us today, we're thrilled to have you here. Pray that this feels like home. Encourage you to do two things if you are a visitor with us this morning. One, stick six. Stick six weeks with us. Let us get to know you. You get to know us a little bit. And then, second, um, out here in our lobby, we have these little booklets call, uh, that we did for Vision Sunday to start off the year. This will give you a glimpse of what we're doing this entire year. We're focusing in on prayer as a church and growing in that. And so, you can grab one of those. You can see our events. You can see things going on and the kind of heartbeat that God has for us as we pursue His ministry and His mission here at West Cabers Church. So, today, Matthew chapter six, as we walk through this prayer, like you heard from Whitney, we're talking about forgiveness. And there's so many articles that you can hop online and find um, from medical institutions that will talk about the benefits to us and when we forgive. And actually some of the the, the bad things that happen to us is when we hold on to resentment and bitterness. One from the Atlantic, which I thought was fascinating, uh, they did a, a whole bunch of studies and they found that those who forgive, those who can release resentment, those people, they found had lower stress levels, and they slept better at night. People that forgave well also had less physical fatigue. They even found that they took less medicines, and they had greater mental health. It's all in this study that a secular institution is doing. Another reference that they give in this article um, is that it helps us in a very physical sense, not just in an emotional sense, and a mental sense, but physically. They took... Uh, these groups of people that were in this study and they brought them into a room and they're like, we want you to think about a time where you had resentment and bitterness in your life and just think about it, dwell on it, like just rest your mind on that time. And they thought about it and things like that and then physically they had them do several different things and one of the things they did is they made them jump to see how high that they could jump. Then they took that group of people, same group of people and they brought them over here and they're like, okay, we want you to think about a time that you forgave. The time that you released certain things and you just were able to forgive. And then they had them jump again. And ironically, they found that they jumped seven centimeters higher when they thought about those moments of forgiveness and peace as opposed to resentment and bitterness. Now for some of you right now, you're thinking, man, that's, that's what I need to get over the rim, right? I just need to forgive. You maybe need to forgive somebody and then you can actually dunk the basketball, Maybe that's what you need. You just need to forgive some people. And for others of you in here, it's fi- you're 5'9", and it's never going to happen. Okay, you just need to give up on that dream of being able to dunk the basketball, right? But in here, in that study, what you find is mentally, it impacts us. Physically, it impacts us. Emotionally, it impacts us. Now, I know as I, as I say this in a room with the church, that most likely, everybody in this room, would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we believe really, forgiveness is a good thing. It's a mature thing. It's a healthy thing to do. But what I want us to grasp from this passage today is that we, as Christians, do not forgive because it makes us jump higher. We do not forgive because it helps us sleep better at night. That's not why we forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 9. We'll read the entirety of the prayer and go all the way to verse 15. Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness. Your word says that your kindness leads us to repentance so that we could find forgiveness. And so, Lord, we confess to you that we've, we've sinned, we've fallen, we've failed, and we need your forgiveness. At the same time, we, we need your strength to forgive others. Lord, you know the, the debt that we have in our life, but you've unver- overcome it with your grace. So we stand amazed, we're thankful. Lord, I want to pray for those in the room right now who simply think Your grace cannot overcome the size of their guilt or their sin. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that where our sin abounds, your grace abounds much more. So, Lord, would you help us to see that our sin cannot outpace your grace? Would you help us to receive your forgiveness today and extend forgiveness to others? Would you pray right now? In this silence, that God would speak to you through his word and help you to understand forgiveness in greater ways today. Pray and ask him to do that now. Would you also pray for me as we look at God's word and as it speaks to us about forgiveness that It would be pleasing to him and profitable for you as we walk through his word this morning. Pray that for for me right now. Lord Jesus, we are are prone to wonder and you're prone to pursue us. So would you pursue us today to help us find forgiveness in you? And also to be forgiving people. It's in your name we ask. Amen. All right, we're going to focus primarily on verse 12 and then 14 and 15. And I want to kind of sum up those three verses and everything we're going to talk about today in just one simple statement. we are going to see it on the screen. It's this, forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. So let's Break that into two. We'll do just two different things this morning. First, let's look at forgiven people. Forgiven people. Jesus desires for us to understand, as he gives us this model prayer, that we need to be forgiven. And at the beginning of verse 12, there's a word there that's important. It says, and. And. And the reason why that's important is because it's connecting it back to verse 11, which we talked about last week. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts. Now, the reason why that's so important is because if God were to supply to us our daily bread and everything that we need, the clothes on our back, the food that we eat, the daily provision that we need, if he provided all of that for us and yet we did not have pardon, then we would be like an inmate on death row, having a good meal, having nice clothes given to us, and yet we, knew, we would know that death is waiting for us. So Jesus is saying here, it's not just about our daily bread and our physical needs, but we have a spiritual need, a deep spiritual need to be forgiven. And so yes, provide for us our physical need. but Would you forgive us our debts? Forgive us. This is important. We have to grasp that we need to be forgiven. This is where forgiveness is going to start. You can never, you'll never extend forgiveness to somebody else until you have realized you need forgiveness yourself. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Our debts. This is something that you should make personal. We should make this personal. Our debts. This is your debts of sin and wrong. And my debts of sin and wrong. This is Ryan's debt. It has to begin with us truly understanding our need for forgiveness from God. Now, every single one of us need this. Every single one of us. And throughout Scripture, it'll say it over and over again. One that you might be familiar with, one of my favorites. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all, all, that's every one of us in this room and online, every single one of us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the debt that Jesus is talking about. That we have sinned, we have missed the mark, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you might be really familiar with this, and this might seem a little ethereal to you. The glory of God, I'm falling short of that. What does that mean? Practically, how did I do that? Like, how did I fall short of the glory of God? How did I get indebted to an eternal God in this way? I encourage you, we don't have time to go through it all right now because they're long chapters. But write it down. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 2 and chapter 3. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and chapter 3, God's going to talk about how his people have wandered away from him. And he's going to talk about very specific things that they've done in that time and in that culture that have shown that they have fallen short of the glory of God. But there's several things that God does in Jeremiah 2 and 3 that I find fascinating and comforting. First, God gets extremely vulnerable with his people who have wandered away from him, who have fallen short of his glory. And he says, please tell me how I've wronged you. Where has my glory failed you? Where have I not provided for you? Where have I not cared for you? And God opens himself up to his people and he says, where have I bored you? Where has my glory not been enough for you? And he asks them that. And then the rest of the chapter, he starts to get really specific. He talks about things like this. Where God will say, you've not honored my holiness. You haven't honored my holiness through your holiness. You've not admired my greatness and my power. You haven't admired it. You haven't obeyed my words that I've given you to guide you. You've not heeded or expressed appreciation for my protection and my provision for you over the years. You've not loved the people that I've created in my image and told you to love. You haven't done that. You haven't treasured my grace. You've not trusted in my faithfulness. You've not believed in my promises or respected my justice. You haven't even pursued the pleasures that I have offered to you that will satisfy your heart. This is what it means to fall short of the glory of God. All of these ways that those people faltered and failed are the ways that we falter and fail when we don't trust God. When we aren't faithful to God. When we don't admire His, His greatness. When we don't trust in His faithfulness. When we don't appreciate His grace to us. All of these are ways that we're falling short Of the glory of God. You see, we have a debt before us, and it is miles deeper than our ability to see and understand. But it's real. It's real. Ezra in Ezra chapter 9 says this our sins, our iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. It's mounted up to the heavens. It's far greater than we realize. Our debt goes far broader than we want it to. Now, when we feel that guilt and that sin and that weight in our lives, when we feel that, we will try to cure it or excuse it in a number of different ways. You See, the the law of God is written on our hearts, the things that we know are right or wrong. And when we don't live up to those standards, we will try to outrun that guilt that we feel. We'll try to outrun the sin that we have. That's why Proverbs chapter 28 says the wicked flee when no one pursues them. Why? Because they have a sense of of guilt and shame for the wicked things that they've done, and so they run when nobody's pursuing them. And some of you know what that's like to run when nobody's chasing you. You run from From relationships because those relationships that you've broken remind you of the guilt that's in your heart. Some of you, you run from certain people because you know that person is going to remind you of a time that you failed or faltered. Some of you run from certain circumstances because you know those circumstances are going to put you back into the place again where you feel the weight of your guilt. And so you try to outrun it. The problem is, we can't outrun it. We cannot outrun our guilt and our sin and our shame. It rises above our heads. It extends to the heavens. You and I can't outrun something that we carry with us. We can run and we can run and we can run, but it's not going to fix the problem of the sin guilt that's in our hearts. So if we can't outrun it, the next thing we'll do is we'll try to numb it. We'll try to numb it. We'll numb it with things like food or shopping or working or entertainment or sports or just the sheer busyness of life. If I just keep up the pace and I don't let my mind pause and be still for a moment, then I can just numb the pain. I can just numb the shame and the guilt and the sin. But the problem with that option is it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't heal anything. It doesn't repair what's been broken. It doesn't fill that void that we have in our heart for the forgiveness that we need. Jesus is telling us, pray that God would forgive you. And we try to run away from it, try to numb it, or we'll try to cleanse it ourselves. See, that's, that's the reason why some of you are here today, or some of you are watching online you got a sense of guilt or shame of something that happened this last week. And you're like, all right, got to go to church tomorrow. we got to try to tilt the, the scales back and balance everything out and try to cleanse some of this guilt that's on me, so I'm going to go to church to, to fix that. But our good works cannot, cannot wash away our guilt. They can't. They can't wash away our shame. Can't do it. It would be like us taking a, a glass of fresh water going to the beach and throwing into the ocean and be like, ah, great, now it's fresh water. No, no, that's still salt water. Well, I'll go get another cup and I'll come down here fresh water and I'll dump it in there and another cup and I'll dump it in there. And still, it's full of salt, right? Because we cannot remove the salt from the ocean. It's there. We cannot remove the guilt and the sin from our lives by tossing in little good works here and there. Scripture teaches us we're not saved by good works. We're saved by works, just not our works. It's the works of Christ, Him alone. So if we can't outrun it, we can't numb it enough, we can't cleanse it through our good works, what we'll do is we'll start to redefine it. We'll start to redefine what is right and wrong. So we'll look at our culture and say, well, culture says this is right, so it must be right, so it's okay for me to do this. Or we'll look at our feelings and say, well, this feels right. And so it must be right. And so we'll start to redefine the the guilt that we feel in our heart in order to try to justify the things that we are doing. But God's word said that his law is written on our hearts. We cannot erase the law that is sown upon our hearts with writing a new one. We can't do it. We can't. We need forgiveness of our debts. Jesus doesn't just pray this prayer so that we would know that we are sinners in need of salvation. He doesn't just pray this that we would know that we need to be forgiven. He's showing us the way in how we can be forgiven. So, how do we come in contact with this grace that can stop us from running, running away or numbing or self cleansing or redefining truth? Jesus says we pray. We pray. That's how we experience this grace of forgiveness. It's through confession. Confession. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is saying, come before me and pray. Pray that your sins will be forgiven, and they will be. We've got a promise in God's word. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And I love what 1 John says because he takes it to the next level. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins. It says he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Jesus takes it to the next level. See, our access point for us to receive the forgiveness that our souls need and long for comes through prayer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we find our forgiveness. Jesus has provided access to forgiveness because of what he has done on the cross. How he took our shame and our guilt in our place on the cross. So our access point of forgiveness is prayer. For some of you that are afraid to come before God and to confess your sins because you think that he's going to be this mean father just pounds you in the head for doing something wrong, right? Who continues to shame you and guilt you after you've confessed your sins. That is not the picture, that is not the picture that we find of God in the Scriptures. If you go and you read Jeremiah chapter 3, he'll talk about this, and God says, I want you to come back, I want you to confess your sins, I want you to repent, and when you come back, you will find my steadfast love, you will find my forgiveness, you will find grace. This is what God is extending to us through Christ. So, yes, we need forgiveness. We need it. When we understand how much we have been forgiven by God in heaven, then it will stir in our hearts to forgive others. To forgive others. You see, our vertical relation will always impact our horizontal relation. Always. And when we stand forgiven by God and we know that the wrongs we've done against Him are forgiven, it will impact how we interact with others around us. Brings us back to forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, point to they forgive people. They forgive people. Jesus says in verse 12, after we've prayed, forgive us of our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He says, forgive our debts as we forgive others. And then, just to clarify it, he's gonna circle back in verses 14 and 15 and say the same thing. You gotta think this is important, right? Jesus gives us this model prayer that you see kind of sectioned out in your Bible. And then once that model prayer is done, he circles back in verse 14 and 15. He's like, hey guys, just in case you missed this, let me double down on this. Let me double tap this so that you understand what I'm saying and how important forgiveness is. And he says it again, forgive others their trespasses as your heavenly father will also forgive you. Now do not misunderstand what Jesus is saying today. Please don't. Because if you misunderstand what Jesus is communicating right here, then you will miss forgiveness completely. Jesus is not teaching you and he's not teaching me. The way we earn God's forgiveness is that we forgive people. If I forgive enough people, then God in heaven is going to forgive me. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is that forgiven people forgive people. Those that have been shown grace, show grace. That's what he's saying. Now, still, we might read this, and, it, and it's a little confusing to us. It was for the disciples at this time. When they heard Jesus teach on this and share this, they're going to circle back at this later on in Matthew 18. You can turn there if you want to. We're going to spend a little time on Matthew 18 right now. But in there, what happens in Matthew 18 is Peter brings back up this forgiveness thing. And he's trying to impress Jesus most likely and impress the disciples And so what he says is, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? Which the reason why that was a big deal is because at that time, the rabbinic teaching would say three times. You forgive somebody three times. Three strikes and you're out. If you've forgiven them three times, you're done. And Peter's like, well, let me impress Jesus here for a minute, impress the other guys. We're going to double that number and increase it by one. Seven. I should forgive seven times. Right, Jesus? The number of completion." Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, no, 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 you've missed it. Forgiveness isn't about a a checklist that you mark so many times down. And so Jesus says, no, you forgive seven times 70 or 77 times. We don't know exactly because the translation of that language is a little hard to make. But the point is this, it's not about counting. It's not about making a list and adding up all the times that somebody's wronged you and be like, okay, I've reached the limit. So to help the disciples understand that and to help us understand that, Jesus tells a story, tells an illustration, has three scenes to it. Matthew 18, he says, first scene is this, there's a king. And there's a king who has people that owe him debts, and so he's bringing in all these different people that owe him debts. And one of the guys that he brings in owes him this massive debt, 10,000 talents. And what's interesting is that would have shocked the crowd at that time. I mean, it would have floored him. Jesus chooses the largest number that they had at that time and the largest denomination. And he says, this guy owes the largest number you can imagine and the largest denomination you can imagine to this king. Josephus, the historian that wrote at that time, actually said that in the region where Jesus would have been teaching this, they only had 600 talents for the entire region, for all the different cities that are there. 600 talents was the max. So in this story that Jesus is telling, this moron has maxed out more in debt than there is in circulation. How that's possible? I mean, people sitting there and they're floored by this. And he says to the king, just give me time. Just give me time and I'll pay off this debt. You can't pay off that debt. It would take close to 275,000 years For somebody to pay off that debt. And this man's like, no, just wait a minute. I'll pay it all back. I promise. He can't pay it back. We can't pay it back. So it says the king looks at this man and has pity on him. He has pity on him and he says, your debt's forgiven. Which sounds crazy, right? (laughs) That a king that's given this much money to this man and he's wasted it all. The king is going to forgive him see, somebody had to eat that debt, and it was the king. And that sounds crazy that the king would eat the debt for that man, but at the same time, man, doesn't that make you want a king like that? Who doesn't just sweep it under the rug? No, he ate the cost for that man. But he looks at him, he says, you're forgiven. Go. That's scene one. Scene two, we're out on the streets. The man that's been forgiven now sees a guy that owes him money. It says he goes up and literally chokes him, the story says. He chokes him because at that time, somebody owed you money to publicly humiliate him, it was okay for you to go up and you choke him and say, give me my money. And that's what he does. He runs up the forgive a man and he chokes this guy that owes him money. He's like, pay me. And it says that the guy owes him 100 denarii, which is a good chunk of change. And our time today will be about $12,000. It's a, that's a good chunk of money, right? If somebody owed you $12,000, you'd probably be thinking about that a lot. Like you owe me $12,000. So it's not nothing. And yet the man had just been forgiven of 10,000 talents of debt. So he takes this man that owes him 100 denarii and he throws him in jail. That's the end of scene two. Scene three picks up and the king is in his courts and he hears the news that this forgiven man refuses to forgive. So he brings him back in. And he's like, hey, didn't I forgive you? Didn't I forgive you for all these debts? And yet you're not forgiving others. He's like, yeah. It says the king looks at that man and he throws him, not into jail. If you look at the original translation, it says he sends him to the torturers to be tortured. And the people listening to the story at that time would have been like, well done. Well done, Jesus. Yeah, that guy deserved it. What a jerk. What a jerk. He was forgiven all of this and he refused to forgive people. So, like, he should be thrown into the jail and should be tortured because of the wrong he's done. Like, he choked that guy in public. Like, well done. Good story, Jesus. And then Jesus turns the story around and points at them. He says in Matthew 18, verse 35, He says, And so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's sobering. <laughs> This is just expounding on exactly what Jesus has just said in verses 14 and 15. Those are who, who have been forgiven, forgive others, or you have not been forgiven. And Jesus is not talking about forgetting little light wrongs done against you. In verse 14 of Matthew 6, it says, forgive their trespasses. Trespasses in, in the Bible is, is a term to talk about willingly doing what's wrong. You imagine seeing a no trespassing sign, you see the sign, you're like, no, I'm trespassing anyway, and you just walk forward. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, forgive those who trespass against you. So not those who have accidentally hurt you, or accidentally wounded you, but those who knew what was wrong and they did it anyway against you. And Jesus is saying, forgive those types of people. How could Jesus say that? Because he's remembering my trespasses. Remembering your trespasses and how He chooses to forgive when we willingly sin against Him. Willingly sin against Him. Now I know, I know that many of you here may have been deeply hurt in many different ways. And I don't know all the depths of how you've been wounded, but Christ does. Christ does. And He Tells you to forgive even those that have trespassed it against you. And this, for some of you, rubs against the grain of your heart and it threatens you. It really threatens you. Because you're like, no, I've been a victim here and I can't let go of this victim status. Our culture, in some good ways, really honor and lift up those who have been victimized. And so sometimes we'll hold on to that. I don't want to hold on to this wrong done against me. I want to hold on to it because it makes people think better of me because of this. Instead of forgiving the person. May we not treasure being honored by our culture more than honored by God. God would tell us, no, forgive. Don't hold on to that victim status, but forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Now you might be thinking... So Ryan, is what you're telling me right now to do is to minimize the wrongs done against me? Are you telling me to minimize the wrongs done against me so that I can forgive people and we can move forward? No, that's not what I'm telling you. That's not what God is telling you. I'm not minimizing any of the wrongs done against you. None of them. Christ is not minimizing the sins that I've done against you. He knows the depths of those sins. He knows the darkness of those sins. He knows the pain because he bore it on the cross. He bore it on the cross. He knows it. He's not trying to get you to minimize them. He's wanting you to see the reality of what it costs Christ to forgive you so that you can forgive others. Let me tell you, if that's you today, where you're like, man, I really struggle to forgive somebody who's wronged me then look to the cross and be comforted. Look to the cross and be comforted. See, for some of us, we can't let go and forgive people because we think, no, this person has to pay for what they've done. They're going to pay through my resentment and my anger and my bitterness. I will make them pay for the wrongs that they've done. And that's the reason why you can't let it go. But listen to me today. Forgiveness and justice are not at odds. Forgiveness and justice are not at odds. They walk hand in hand together. If you're afraid if I forgive this person, then they're just going to get away with their wrong. No, every wrong that we have done will be pulled before the king of kings, before his throne. Every one of us will will give an account for the sins that we've done, the things that we've done wrong. See, the debt isn't just to us. It is to our Father in heaven when people have sinned against us. See, nobody gets away with wrongs. God doesn't just sweep stuff under the rug. No, wrongs will be paid by that person in hell or by Jesus on the cross. But no one gets away with anything. Now, this should give comfort to your heart the divine justice of God. God says, Vengeance is mine, it's His. It's not your job to bring vengeance on somebody. It's not your job to have resentment and bitterness in your heart. No, you look to Christ and be comforted because He is a just God. He is a just God. Now you might sit here and think, Ryan, I, I still don't think I can do that. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough might. I don't have enough strength to forgive in this way that you're asking me to forgive. That, that, that Christ is calling me to forgive good I'm glad you're saying that because you can't those of you that have tried to forgive in your own willpower and your own strength you will fail time and time and time again what you need is the power of God in you what you need is the strength of God in you what you need is his spirit to help you forgive Corey Timboon, some of you may know uh, who she is, but great biography. would encourage you to go buy a copy. You can find it on Amazon and read it. She's a survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, her story is really interesting. Her family were helping to protect Jews and get them out of the city, keeping them safe. And she was found out by the Nazis in World War II. And so they arrested her and her family through her and her sister Betsy into a concentration camp called Ravenscroft. And after the war ended, Corey Timboon came out and basically became an evangelist, talking about the forgiveness that people can have and the forgiveness that we find in Christ. And as we are forgiven in Christ, we can extend forgiveness to other people. So literally, she's traveling the globe and she's writing books about forgiveness. And in one of her books, she writes this. She says, I was speaking one time in Munich, Germany. It was 1947. So it's literally two years after the war has ended. She says, as as I spoke on forgiveness, she looked at solemn faces that stared back at her, not quite daring to believe. The German people were wondering if God could forgive them. And as people left in silence, one man worked his way up to the front, and she said, instantly I recognized him. My mind went back to a blue uniform. And the cap that he wore, a huge room with overhead lights, the shame of walking past these guards, looking at my sister's frail form in front of me as her ribs jutted out from her side. She said, The place in my mind was Ravensbrook. And the man who was walking towards me was one of the guards. She said, I remembered him. His face. The swing of his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood froze. He said, Fine message. How good it is to know that what you say is true, that sins are at the bottom of the sea. He extended his hand. She said, I didn't take it. I, who had wrote so freely about forgiveness, fumbled with my pocketbook rather than to take his hand. He continued. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but since then I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did, but will you forgive me? He extended his hand again. She said, I stood there whose sins had been forgiven again and again, but I could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died there. She said, it could not have been many seconds, but as he stood there with his hand extended, it seemed like hours. I was wrestling with the most difficult thing I had to do, but I had to do it. I knew it. Not just was, not because it was commanded from Jesus, but from my daily experience. As I had worked with victims of Nazi brutality, those that refused to forgive their, their, their former enemies, became invalids. It was simple. And it was horrible. But I stood there and clutched the coldness of my heart, and I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand, but you must display the feeling. So woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into his, and he stretched his to mine. And as I did, an incredible thing took place, a current that started in my shoulder and raced down my arm it, and joined into our hands. A healing warmth flooded my entire being and brought tears to my eyes. I said, I forgive you, brother. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. Former guard, former prisoner. i had never known the love of God so intensely as I did right then. Even so, I realized it was not my love. I tried. I tried to forgive, and I didn't have the power. It was the Spirit of God in me that allowed me to forgive we forgive because we have been forgiven in church family we remember this truth that we have been forgiven as we come to the Lord's Supper now as we take this bread and as we drink this cup we're remembering the cross we're remembering how Christ has made a way for us to be forgiven so let me say a couple of things before we take this first This is offered to to anybody who has believed in Christ as their Lord and Savior, those that have followed him in baptism and are lovingly seeking him today. We take this now, remembering the cross, being comforted by that divine justice, but at the same time, that divine mercy that forgave us of our sin. So if you know Christ, take this now with great, great joy, the forgiveness that you have. For others of us that don't know Christ, God would say, actually don't take this. You taking this is not going to cleanse any of the sin from your heart without you first coming before Christ and confessing those sins. This is a, an action of remembrance that we do today. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, then, then look and see. Look and see that Christ has given His body for you on the cross. He has shed His blood that you could confess your sins and be cleansed of your sins and all of your unrighteousness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us as a church family time to pray right now. And in this silence, pray and maybe you need to confess sins that you have. Maybe the sins of resentment or the unforgiveness that's in your heart. And it could be like Whitney said for a a spouse. Or maybe it's for a church that's wronged you and you have that church hurt and you refuse to forgive them, would you pray at this time and ask that God would help you just forgive and to let some of those things go? Would you use this time specifically to pray, God, forgive me and help me to forgive others? And if you don't know Christ, then right now, right now, you can pray. Pray and ask that God would forgive you of your sins. And then as you pray that prayer and know that he will forgive you and then you can take the Lord's Supper with us with great joy because what Christ has done for you. So let me pray for us and then we'll pray together in silence. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great grace that pursues us. We know that we are children who have disobeyed, we have run, we have refused to forgive and so now we ask that you would help us forgive. Give us as we've sinned against you. God, help us. Help us pray even now. And thank you for the promise that if we pray for your salvation, you freely give it. Hear our prayers to you as we pray.